We have been in the series, The Great Sermon, and uh, in The Great Sermon, we're talking about uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we've been, this is week 10, this is part 10 of The Great Sermon, and we have finished 16 verses, glory to God. <laughs> uh, that's like a verse and a half a week, and um, there's three chapters in His Sermon, yeah, so let that hit you, and uh, <laughs> but uh, let that. But how many people have been blessed by it? Amen. Yeah, it's been it's been tremendous. I I was telling uh, somebody the other day, another pastor. I said I'm seeing things I've never seen in there, and uh, the Lord's just drawing it out. And the reason is, I was reading this uh, sermon that Jesus preached a few months ago. And I was reading it and I went, oh my goodness. I said, Lord, uh, we need to hear this message. There's so much in there. This sounds like it's echoing a little bit. Um, I, we need to hear this message. He said, you do. And I want you to do a series on the Sermon on the Mount and called the Great Sermon. And I was like, glory to God. And so I got excited about it and didn't realize that it would take so long to get through there. Uh, don't, I don't mind that. I hope y'all don't mind it. But uh, it's been really interesting. It's like each day has been uh, different. Each message has had plenty in itself to preach from uh, the blessings. If you haven't heard the whole series, go back and watch it because it is chock full of good stuff. And one of the things that really surrounds the Sermon on the Mount is most people see in the Sermon on the Mount a lot of do this, don't do that, a lot of conditions to meet. And if you meet those conditions, you have to understand, though, that the first basically 10, 12 verses were Jesus saying, bless, 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 bless. He was making a statement, you know. He was making a statement, bless, bless, bless. I want you blessed. But then people look at how he wants them blessed. Well, you'll be blessed if you do this. And then that's where they're like, ah, but I can't do all that. No, you can do that stuff because in His grace, He's given you the empowerment to do exactly that. In His grace, He's given you the power to do that. And so when you face situations that you look seem are hard, you have to understand that He's given you through Jesus the grace to get through it. He's given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness, right? And if He's given you everything, then when I need something, it will be there. I can't tell you, we were talking in Impact the other night, and I can't tell you the number of times where I've stepped out into something new, and I've never done it before, and I'm the one leading it, you know? I'm the one who's leading that, and I'm like, whoo, now, and you got people looking at you, you know? Hey, what do we do now? That's a great question. <laughs> Holy Ghost, <laughs> what do we do now, you know? Uh, and I've learned to not, actually, I kind of enjoy it. I think I was made a little bit for that kind of situation. But here's the thing. What I've found is God will be true whether we know what we're supposed to do or not. His character, His nature, His promises, they'll be true. They'll be right. And so no matter what conditions you face, God doesn't change. No matter what you face, His character is the same. He wants you blessed and He'll give you what you need to be blessed. 
And that's where a lot of times we look at ourselves instead of looking at God. Well, I don't have what it takes or I didn't grow up in the right place or, you know, my skin's not the right color or this and that and everything else. And, and all these things. And, and Paul says it like this. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, right? Jew or Gentile. There, in other words, there's not race. There's not if you're bound or not. There's neither male nor female. You know, he's just saying in in Christ, you have everything you need in Him. And when you realize that, all of a sudden the world opens up to you and God says, ah, that's where I was trying to get you. That's where I was trying to get you. And so now that doesn't mean that you won't have opposition. It just means that in the opposition, you can still know that I'm going to win. I'm going to win. How? Have no idea. But we're going to do it. Us and Jesus, we're going to do it. You know, we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. And so when you look at the great sermon, there are a lot of conditions in that. But you have to understand that the whole great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, was designed to move believers into power and into the light of God. It was not designed to give them a checklist that they felt bad about if they missed one. It was saying, I'm going to show you where you need to be and I'm going to give you the power to get there. I'm going to give you the grace to get to that place. And so we're going to look at some more of that today. So what we've covered so far is all of the blessings that God wanted us to be blessed with. And they're huge. I mean, there's a ton of them. And, but then he, then he talked about being the salt and the light, our need to have actions to back up what we say, right? We need to have actions that back up what we say. We need to show the Lord, uh, hey, I love you and I love you. My actions are going to say I love you. In other words, that means we put the flesh down. We, we don't go in pridefully when we do whatever it is the Lord asks us to do. We need to get to that place where it's constant, where it's not even an option for us to do something otherwise, right? And then it starts talking here in verse 17. Jesus says this. He says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this is quite a set of verses here because, because of several things. But I want you to think about this. What were the Pharisees known for? Known for the law. And Jesus just made this statement. If you don't do better than they do, you won't go into the kingdom of heaven. You got to know that some people's eyes were like, what? And they're immediately thinking, I'm not going to make it. 
Because I can't, I don't know the law like the Pharisees do. I can't keep every commandment like they do, right? I wasn't born in a religious house. I'm just a whatever, you know, a worker, a whatever. I'm just, and they're thinking, I can't keep it like that. But you have to understand, that's not what Jesus was talking about. That is not what he was talking about. So he got their attention when he said that. But also, I want you to see his very first statement here. Do not think that I came to abolish the law and, or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now he's saying this for a reason. Because the environment that he's speaking in, they had the law at a certain place, right? The environment that he was in had the law uh, on a very high level. And he knew there's some changes about to happen. And maybe they were starting to see them already. Maybe they didn't understand them yet, but he knew they're coming. And he wanted to get it straight right from the beginning that, hey, I'm not coming to kill the law. No, I'm not coming to uh, abolish it. I'm coming to fulfill it. Now, this is important. Think about this. Uh, when the environment and what they were starting to think about Jesus, when the environment with the law and what they were starting to think about Jesus was, man, this guy's kind of upset in the apple cart here. Should I be following him? Right? He's about to change some stuff. Should I be following what he's saying? And he says, and so he sets them straight right from the beginning. And think about this. Do you know what the practice was? If they were copying the law, if they were copying basically the Bible, the scribes were copying it. Uh, you notice where it says every jot and tittle of the law, right? What that's talking about, the jot is the smallest letter in the alphabet. So not even the smallest letter should be changed. And the tittle is, is, it means like a horn or it's a little identifying mark. So a lot of times in their alphabet, you'd have something, a, a letter, and then there'd be like one dot on this side or one dot on that side. And that dot would identify what that symbol was or what that character was. He was saying not even the smallest letter or even one dot of the law, not one dot of the law will be abolished, right? And so he's saying the law will remain in that way and it will not be broken down. So what he was doing was he was taking fear away from them. Now, if you understand about Christianity, we are not under the law anymore. We're not under the law. Now, how does that line up with what Jesus was saying? You know, we're not under the law. What do you mean we're not under the law? He said the law wouldn't pass away. And he's exactly right. How can those two things be true and work together, right? And, but he's, he recognizes we're getting ready to step in because here's what was happening. There was the time of the law and then there was the time of Jesus and Jesus ushered in a period of the church and of grace. Right? Grace by the love of God. And it's going to challenge some people's thinking about the law. But there's going to be some things that change in that. But yet Jesus knows that they're going to be fearing. You're attacking one of the major uh, foundations of our whole society. You're talking about changing some of these things. You're, and, and we don't know if we like it. So he's attacking that fear before they ever get there. But it's such an important point as to how we live today. And so you look at this. 
He says, in that environment, every jot and tittle was so important. But Jesus was saying, things are about to change, but the law will be fulfilled and not abolished. So now, when you look at this, let's look at this verse again, verse 17. You see where it says, I did not come to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill. That word there, fulfill, means to complete it. In other words, it's been open. And now I'm going to complete it. Right? And he says, listen, not the, I truly say to you that until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, the jot, or the smallest letter in the alphabet. That's funny. I see uh, we got three T's in letter in, in your notes. That's great. And um, that's good proofreading right there. And I'm the one who proofread, so glory to God. Not, or stroke. Uh, there's not an identifying horn or dot because sometimes those little strokes, they look like little horns. That's why it had that name. It said, they shall not pass from the law until all is accomplished or all is complete. Right? And so he says, whoever then annuls one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same. In other words, he says, you don't have to follow that anymore. Don't do that anymore. Right? Anybody who says that shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness, your uprightness and right standing with God surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, here, here's what I want you to see. When you read that, and the law will not pass away, but it will be fulfilled. But anybody who teaches that these things will be, then they'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. How many laws should we uphold? It was a trick question. Because there's an interesting thing you'll see in your notes. It says, where has condemnation and a lack of grace taken people. Most respond to this with trying to keep every law ever written in the Bible. Every law. But isn't that what we just read? No. It wasn't. He was actually saying, he was saying, look, everything will be fulfilled. And I'm not teaching you, I'm not teaching you to keep the law like you used to. I'm going to teach you a different way. I'm going to actually take you to a higher law, the law where the law of God is written on your hearts. And then he goes on, he gives some examples after this. And let me let me just show you something. In the very next few verses there, uh, starting in verse uh, 21, it talks about you shouldn't commit murder or be angry. And then the next one it talks about uh, being basically lustful. Then it talks about uh, if your uh, right eye stum makes you stumble, tear it out. It talks about all this. But you notice in each one of these, here's what he says. He says, the law says that you shouldn't be angry with your neighbor. But then he says, but I say. Now, he cha he's changing something. The law says this, but I say, if you're just angry in your heart, and in your thinking, now I'm just paraphrasing, then you've already crossed the law. Then he says, he talks about lust. He says, the law says, don't, you know, don't do the deeds that lust does, right? 
But then he says, but I say, if you've just had those thoughts in your heart, then you've already broken it. So now, see, the law would hold you to actions. In other words, the law up to this point said you're good as long as you don't commit action. But Jesus said, I'm going to show you how to take it to another what place where you can live where you don't just, you don't just not commit the action, you don't even commit the thought. That's not available under the law. It's available under the grace or the empowerment of God. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm going to show you how to take the law and go to another level, but you won't be held punishable like you were in the old law. It's the best of both worlds, right? I'm going to show you how to do it. The end result was not that people could do whatever they wanted to do. The end result was you had people starting to act like God. They started having the actions and the thoughts like God. Now, in order to understand this, you have to understand that now God does not separate what I'm about to say out. He doesn't say here's this, that, and the other. So there's three different kinds of laws that were given in the Old Testament law. You had moral law, you had ceremonial law, and you had judicial law. Okay, So moral law is, this is the right thing, you should do it. Uh, basically, the Ten Commandments falls under moral law. Right Now, moral law is what he's talking about. They, these shall not change. That's what he's talking about. John Wesley says this is moral law that he's speaking of. You should not change those Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments will stay forever. It's always going to be a moral law. But then you had ceremonial law, which is things that they did in certain ceremonies. Now here's the question. In the Jewish culture and society, they had ceremonial law. Now, uh, most people here are not Jews. You would be considered not Jews, Gentiles, right? And uh, so if you're Gentiles, are you under the ceremonial law? No, you don't have to uphold that stuff. Uh, You see a lot of people trying to go back and do some of the ceremonial law stuff, and they're, they're actually stepping back under an old covenant, right? It's not necessarily the greatest things to do, but it is important to understand them and understand what they were for and why they were there and what they were pointing to, right? But then you had also some judicial laws uh, where it said, hey, if this happens, uh, this is what you do to that person. Like there's one law in there that says, hey, if you have a bull and your bull uh, gores somebody else and kills them, then you got to pay the price for it, right? There was a judgment, a judicial law. So you had moral law, ceremonial law, and you had judicial laws. Now, all of those made up the laws. Now, here's the thing. You start to see this, and uh, let me give you a good example of how this would work, for example. Moral law does not change. It will never change, and this is what he's speaking of here in context. The moral law of God is really talking about the character and nature of God. Does God change? And moral law is not going to change. Moral law is the same, and we should hold it the same. All the time. Now, you also have like a civilian law, like we have laws today. Don't we have laws today that allow us to break the moral law of God? Don't we have that? Are those correct civil laws? 
Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So we've got to say, hey, we want to put leaders in places that can will uphold the moral law of God. But then ceremonial law and judicial law, those things can change. So here's one example of that. Well, let me give you an example of a uh, judicial law that changed. A judicial law, do you remember when the adulterous woman was brought before Jesus? Yes. And then what were they wanting to do? The law says to stone her. That was a judicial law. Did Jesus stone her? Did he fulfill the law? Did he keep it or not keep it? Because he didn't stone her. (laughs) I like that laugh. (laughs) He kept the law because he never broke it, right? But he didn't stone her. Why? Because at this moment, the judicial laws were changing. Because grace, the heavens had been opened and grace came in. All right, let me give you another example. You remember, there was a ceremonial law that talked about uh, you couldn't eat, you know, pigs. Right? It was a ceremonial law. But then the Holy Ghost shows up to Peter on the rooftop, gives him a vision and, and says, kill and eat. And we've had bacon ever since, right? <laughs> Glory, can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Y'all are so eager to amen certain things, isn't it? <laughs> All right, so anyway, and here's the thing. Sometimes, though, you know, some of those things were done because of technology's sake. God gave them laws for a certain period of time. Like one of the laws was don't mix two different kinds of thread, uh, cotton and wool or something like that. They would say don't mix those two. If, if you mixed them, that was against the law. Now, why was that? Because at that point, they didn't have the technology to keep one would shrink and the other one wouldn't and the, and the garment would be messed up. God was just saving them some trouble. Same thing with certain animals. They didn't have refrigeration to keep all the bacteria that we're aware of today to keep out. God was helping them. But as time goes on, uh, technology changes, transition, you have certain things that can change. Ceremonial law, judicial law. And so, but what he's saying does not change is the character and nature of God, the moral laws of God. Right? That's so good. So these are things that we still need to live by today. At the same time, there was a punishment on them if you did cross them, and that changed as well. But I want you to see this. Let me give you this example of uh, ceremonial law, judicial law, and moral law. So let's say that we have George come up here real quick. And uh, let's say that George is a general. Doesn't he walk like a general? All right, good. (laughs) Face them. All right, now, and see, even I knew he'd do that. He (laughs) snapped two right there, right? So let's say that George is a general, and let's say that you are all of his troops, right? Now, at what, let's say, I know when I was in the Marines, we had like dress blues. They also had, I never had it, but they had a red uniform, they had a white uniform, they had a green uniform, right? Can't, uh, can't he order the troops to change uniforms? All right, everybody wear the blue uniform this day. What if he changes it tomorrow? All right, everybody wear the red uniform, right? Isn't that okay? 
that's a ceremonial law. Like for one day, the law is wear blue. The next day, it may be wear red. So that shows you an example of how ceremonial law can change. Here's the other things. You know, at one point, they didn't have cell phones. It's the most amazing thing. People wore watches. They wore watches. They had this thing called a beeper at one point. But even there was one time they didn't even have those, right? But don't you know in the military, um, when people first started having cell phones, right, they were not allowed to carry them at least, you know, certain, certain areas. They would say, do not have a cell phone on your body with you, when you're in uniform, that kind of stuff, right? But now cell phones have become so much a part of our uh, society. Can't you see, whereas he would have said, they would have, the general would have said, don't have a cell phone. If so, if you do, you're going to get in trouble. There'll be a judgment. So this is a judicial law. Something's going to happen if you don't follow this law. But now it's a part of our lives and and we use technology in so many different things and there's areas where you can't, but there's there's grace there too where you can. And so now I imagine that you have soldiers that can have a cell phone on them and they're not going to get in trouble at all under certain conditions, right? That means that shows a change of that judicial law. Now here's the thing though. Is there any point though where the soldier should not pay attention to his command. That's the moral law. So no matter what you do, you may change uniforms, you may change some of the statutes, like what you can carry and what you can't, but there's no point where a soldier that is in his army should not listen to the general. And that's like the moral law. That moral law should not ever change, even though the ceremony... Ceremonial laws may change. The judicial laws may change. The moral law stands the same. He's in charge. He's in command. And everybody should listen to that. Does that make sense? All right. Thank you, sir. So with the Ten Commandments, you basically have the whole of the moral law. You see the, you know, you shall not kill. You shall not steal, right? You shall keep the Lord your God and and keep him in front. Let nothing come before. Uh, before him, in front of you and him, right? You should have no idol there, right? You shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Uh, Children, obey your parents so that it may go well. You may have long life, right? This is moral law and it gives us the basis. Now, Jesus comes back and wraps it up and he says this. Later on, he says, I'll give you this greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, Soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You keep those two things and you'll notice if you will do those two things, you will keep all of the moral law. Right? You also... Um, so when you see this, all of a sudden it starts to make sense of what Jesus was saying. And this is not telling you you can break moral law now. This is Jesus saying, I'm going to take you to a higher place. I'm going to show you how to do this where it's not just what would happen if you didn't really have a heart change. You just knew how to not get in trouble. Would society truly be what it needs to be? No, it would be so short. But see, under the old law, I could just not commit the action and my heart would still be wicked. Right? Well, under the law that Jesus has given us, he's saying, I'm going to show you how to become a new person. And you will not only not commit the acts, but you won't even have the thoughts. 
you'll start thinking and acting like the Lord. In other words, I'm going to raise you up to another place. So this is not him diminishing the law. It's actually taking it to another place. See, you can have, you can have it where you don't go commit the act of sin, but in your heart you still want to. Anybody besides me ever been there? I've definitely been there. And I'm still working on it now. Anything. Constantly I want to make sure. I don't even want to have the thoughts anymore. But that takes an effort on our place to apply the grace of God and get to that. Where we have not just a, a stoppage of the actions of sins, but our heart doesn't even want to. Our heart doesn't even desire it anymore. And, and the thought comes in, we just kick it out so quick. Whereas before, a thought comes in and we're like, ooh. You know, sin is pleasurable for a season. Uh, but the end is death, right? Right? So, but we'll think about it for a while before we have a heart change. Well, we want to constantly be giving ourselves to that kind of heart change. Now, uh, let's look at this. Romans 10, 4. Jesus fulfilled the law. And I want you to see the power of this because how many of you have ever felt like you were not good enough? You ever felt like I'm not good enough? Have you ever felt like, have you ever felt like, um, man, I just really screwed up. I just really screwed up. God knows it. I know it. Right. I remember one time. See, it's one thing to be trying to get away with something. It's one thing to be caught and sorry you got caught. It's another thing to get caught but really desire to change. Right. Right. Uh, there's the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Uh, godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow leads to change. But worldly sorrow just says, man, I'm sorry I got caught. And really, that's all it is. Because as soon as it, it, there's no change with it, as soon as the problem goes away and people forget that I got caught, I just go right back to it. That's worldly sorrow. It has no lasting effect. Godly sorrow says, I don't ever want to do this again. Now, if you're in worldly sorrow, what I'm about to say does not apply to you. If you're not looking for real change, what I'm about to say does not apply to you. But if you're in godly sorrow, what I'm telling you does apply to you. So over in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, and we'll come back to Romans in a second. Over in Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, it says uh, that we can go boldly or with all confidence to the throne of grace to find help. In time of trouble. And what it's talking about is going to Jesus, who is our advocate. And anytime we need help, we can boldly go as a child of God, right? And so that's a great verse. It's a great, great verse. Let's just read it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4. It's good to put your eyes on the Word and on the promises. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. 
Uh, verse 14, I'll read it while they're getting that 15 and 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So the subject here is Jesus is our high priest who's basically what it's saying is he's fulfilled everything he needs to fulfill. Verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. But we have one, one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. So you start to recognize, okay, he, we, when we get caught, we feel like we've sinned, we feel like we're weak. And it's saying Jesus can sympathize with your mess up. That's an amazing statement. Because he was there and tempted. He felt the same pains and the same pressures. The only difference was he made it through victoriously. Well, what does that mean? Don't you want, do you want to go and listen to somebody who's not been victorious? I mean, if if you needed surgery, uh, do you want the guy who's doing his very first surgery? Oh, you want somebody who's done some successfully, right? All right, well, that's what Jesus is for us. He's the successful surgeon. He knows how to help. And it says, so talking about our weakness and talking about Jesus, it says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Let us draw near with confidence or with boldness to the throne of grace. Now, grace is his love, its empowerment, its favor. In other words, let us draw near to the throne where you will find his love. Let us draw near with boldness, with confidence, where you will find favor. Let us draw near with boldness and confidence where you will find the empowerment that you need, and read the rest of it, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What that saying is, when you actually want to change, and we can go boldly to the throne of grace, and we will find a high priest who loves us, who will give us favor, who will give us the empowerment we need to step out of that mess of the world, out of that sin, and move into that place. We'll find it. But we've got to desire to change, not just be sorry we got caught. right? Not just be sorry that we messed up. We've got to say, Lord, I'm going to do life different from this point forward. And when we get that in our heart and it's real, we boldly come before the throne of grace and we'll find that Jesus is sitting there ready to help us. Oh, I'll help you. I'll give you a hand up. So I had a time, remember... What I'm saying doesn't apply if you're just sorry you got caught. But if you're, if you're desiring for change, this applies. One day, uh, we, we were sitting there, and I had messed up, and I knew it. I felt dirty. I felt yuck. I felt weak. In my, I'm like, man, I'm supposed to be a man of God, and I just messed up. I just missed it, you know. And uh, I know y'all have never been there, but I had this day, you know, this one time. <laughs> And I'm just feeling like I missed it. And really, it was to, to be honest, it was just one of the times I felt like I let the Lord down the most. You know, I just really felt the condemnation of it. And um, 
the Lord spoke to me right there in that moment. And he said, I said, come boldly before my throne. Well, I knew this scripture. I knew what it was talking about. And I'm thinking Old Testament, come before your throne with sin in your life. Zap, bang, dead. Bells stop jingling. They pull you out of the Holy of Holies, you know. Because in the Old Testament, that's what happened. And I, he goes, I said, come boldly before the throne. I'm like, I don't want to die. I don't want to come before your throne. But see, even though I knew you know, from education that this exists, where was my mind? Was my mind in New Testament or in Old Testament? I was in the Old Testament. And then right then, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, he was a little bit more stern this time. He said, I said, come boldly before my throne. And I went, oh, 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 oh. And I just learned something about the Lord. I learned, because I know he doesn't want to kill me. I know his heart better than that. He's not saying, come boldly before my throne so I can strike you down. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, come boldly before my throne so I can help you when you need help. And I went, Lord, I thought I understood your mercy. I thought I understood your grace, but I can see I did not. And I have truly learned more about you today. And I was feeling so bad, so rejected. I was feeling like I didn't even want to talk to God. He'd be mad at me and everything else. And all he wanted to do was help me. Enough where he would get on to me because I wasn't receiving his help. I went, wow, I thought I knew you. Right? Now, why could he do that? Why could he tell me who had missed it, who was weak in the flesh, why would he tell me, come boldly before my throne? It wasn't to get on to me. It wasn't to correct me. It was to help me. But what gave him the legal right to do so? Jesus did. So let's look now at Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Now I want you to see this. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the end of the law. Now, does this mean that he abolished the law? No. He said earlier, that's not what I came to do. Let's look at this next one. uh, Romans 3, 31. But he's the end. Romans 3.31 Do we then nullify the law through faith? In other words, do we make the, the law of none effect whatsoever when we start to believe? May it never be. May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. In other words, we make the law do what the law was supposed to do. Why, how? By faith. Now let's look at one more scripture and it pulls all these together. Romans 8, 3 through 5. So Jesus didn't come to abolish it but to fulfill it. But yet through Christ it is the end of the law in us. But did we, did we abolish it? By faith, no, or make it of none effect, nullify it, no, 
No, we established it. How does all of this work together? Let's look at this now. So, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. So, the law was trying to get us to operate on a God level and to, and to start operating with our heart and our mind, not just stop us from committing the actions, but actually get us to that place. But what we found in the law was nobody could uphold it. And the Word says if you're guilty of one law, you're guilty of all. So who then was not guilty? Nobody. So he says here, for what the law could not do. Could the law get everybody to God? No. Now, was that the law's fault? No, the law was perfect. He goes on to say very similar words. No, the law was perfect. It was our fault. But we couldn't get there. Romans 5 says we were helpless. We could not help ourselves. In other words, as much as we wanted to do it, we didn't have it within us because of the curse to even get there. But that wasn't the law's fault. That was the sin, sin's fault inside of us. That was the curse's fault inside of us, right? And so the law had a purpose. And let's look at this. Weak as it was through the flesh, uh, God did what the law couldn't do. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh... And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So now I want you to see this. He condemned not the people who sin, but he condemns, condemned sin in their flesh. In other words, he bound up sin and gave us the ability for sin to never be our master again. Wow, that's awesome. He, Sin has a judgment on it, and it is already, remember, uh, he has won the victory over sin. And what that means is, when you think, I can't stop from doing this, that's not true. That's a deception that the devil has told you, I can't stop being this way. So you should never say, I can't help it. I can't stop. Because Christ has condemned sin. It no longer has any power for anybody who will choose to not be led by it. That's the issue. They don't know that they don't have to live by it. Right? And so then it says, he condemned sin in the flesh. Then verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So Christ lived out every letter of the law so that you have the requirement, not just so you don't have to do it. God says, the law fulfilled. 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 The law fulfilled. Everyone who believes on faith in Christ, it's already been fulfilled. Amen. He said there's nothing for you to do. Fulfilled. Fulfilled. Stamps you with fulfillment. Complete. Right. Yeah. Glory to God. Right. So now, all of a sudden, did you feel when you hear that message, it's like you feel the pressure lift off of you? That's what it's supposed to do. Lighten the load. But now it's not that we should, now we can go do whatever we want to. It's that now we're empowered to be everything God's called us to be. Now we won't just be uh, held to the actions. We should be held by our heart. 
So then I, I love this. He says, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Not just that we're not held accountable to it. We are held accountable to it. Just Jesus already put the account right. It's already fulfilled in you. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now here's a condition. It's fulfilled in the people who don't walk according to the flesh. But they walk according to the spirit. Verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And then the next verse, I believe it says, but the mindset on the flesh is death, and the mindset on the Spirit is life, and it might say peace. Yeah. So in other words, what happens is, the question is, what's your mindset on? Is your mindset on the flesh? If your mind's set on the flesh, then this thing's not operating like it's supposed to. But if your mind is set on the spirit, then it is. And he says, but you are of the spirit. When you believe God, you're of the spirit. But listen, if you go back to thinking like, yeah, I've got to do this right and this right and this right to please God. And I've got to uphold the law. You're now in the fleshly way of thinking. And now if you don't do every, every one of them, every jot and tittle, you're guilty of all. And now your conscience comes into play. And, and if you're sitting there going, oh man, I messed this up. God's so mad at me. Well, your conscience literally is turning it to the place where you start walking in a judgment that God doesn't even want you to have. But if you'll say, Lord... I'm fulfilled in you. I set my mind on things of the spirit. And if I've messed up, I'll confess. Like it says in 1 John, I'll confess my sins. Right? And then all the grace of God will be poured out in my life. I receive that forgiveness. Because you have fulfilled the, the requirement of the law in me. And I'm not walking in this, but... I'm not going to be the person that enjoys doing the wrong thing. I'm going to let it change me. I'm seeking to become more and more like you. That's a mindset on the spirit. But if you're enjoying it and you're just in rebellion, just wanting to keep doing the same old things, you're going to find yourself under the consequences of the law that you're already fulfilled of. Oh man, that's horrible. Why would anybody want to do that? So let's do this the right way. Understand what Jesus has done and stamped you with the law was fulfilled inside of you and let's walk like it, right? So why did he do this? Why did Jesus fulfill the law in us? Why did he do that? He fulfilled the law in us because one, he says, I, remember it says when you're born again, you are translated from darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light, right? In other words, he wanted to translate you to completely remove you from the kingdom of darkness and its ways and bring you into the kingdom of light. The other thing is that you were reborn into a new class of being. One scripture before we're born again says we were made a little lower than the angels. Then once we're born again, it says you have made them a little higher than the angels. You are not, you're not the same person once you get born again. You are a new creation. And he wanted to 
put you up in a new promotion level, a new class of being. And so he wanted to get you there. But we couldn't get there without the fulfillment of the law. The other thing is he wanted to give us the ability to stay in the blessings of God. Now, let me show you this. Uh, Let me have, um, let's see, David, will you come stand right here? Just stand right there. And uh, Kendall, will you come and just, let's see. Actually, David, stand right there. And Kendall, will you just stand right here? That'll be good. All right. Now, I need uh, uh, Jadis. Will you come help me? Okay. So now I want to show you a picture. Now, these guys represent a timeline. And uh, I'm going to actually have you go a little bit closer. Stand right here. Okay. Good. Now, this, come and stand over here. These guys represent a timeline. So basically, you would have the Old Covenant starting here, and it would go all the way to right here. Here's where the New Covenant would be, and this is where David's standing would be where the New Covenant and where grace comes in and the fulfillment of the law. Now, Kendall would represent when they gave offerings to cover their sin, and this period in between Kendall and David would just be the blessing of God. So basically from David all the way back over here would be the condition of man before Jesus and even before uh, any offerings or anything like that. So now what would happen is, let's say, uh, and let, let's have y'all step out just one step. Good. And you stand on that first step. All right. So let's say that Jadius, that's all right. Good, let go. Let's say that Jadius uh, represented mankind and he sinned, right? Uh, sorry, dude. And uh, we're going we're to get you saved in a minute, all right? Glory to God. All right, let's say that he sinned and uh, then all of a sudden that, that stain of sin, right, would be on him. And so now, who, who wouldn't have sinned? All of us would have, right? So at some point, no matter what, he's, he's sinned and he's got the stain of this sin. So as soon as he committed that action, he has the stain of sin. So then under the law, it gave the original law because is, is this in front of Jesus, can this be handled yet completely? No. It can't be handled completely. So did God want mankind to go for 4,000 years and under the stain of sin? Well, what's the wages of sin? Death, right? Well, what's the wages of obedience? Life and blessing. So God wanted to do something so that they didn't have to wait till Jesus did. Let's not leave them in sin and death for 4,000 years. Leave mankind there. Let's, let's do something about it. So he gave the law. Under the law was offerings. This represents where offerings come in. So under the old covenant, what would happen is they would, he would then bring an offering to the priest. Just walk up right beside. Yep, there you go. So he would bring an offering and he would shed the blood of of animals called for in the law. And then what would happen is this would not be removed. It says in Hebrews that the sin was not removed by the blood of bulls and goats. But what did happen was it was covered. 
Now, it was still there, the sin was, but it was covered. This allowed him to progress. All right, now he's passed through the law and passed through the offerings and been obedient, and now the blessings of God could be there. So now he could walk around and he could stay in this pocket of blessings. Now God could bless him the way he would bless his home. He would be, he'd be the head and not the tail. Deuteronomy 28, the first, first part of that. He would be, but without the offerings, he would be back over here under the curse, which is the second part of Deuteronomy 28. And it's not pretty, right? But once he made the offering, he would be covered by the righteousness which was a picture of what would be to come, but it wasn't complete. But this covering would allow him to stay in the blessing. And I'm trying to keep this as simple as possible, but it would allow him to walk through life in the blessing of God. He would pass by the priest and the offerings in the law, do it right, and that would put him in the place of blessing. Amen? Now, here's the thing. If he goes and sins... You know, then all of a sudden this is removed. He's immediately back over here. And now, all right, put that back on you. Now, what's he got to do? He sinned. Oh, man, he's got to go back to the priest, give an offering, go back to the priest, go back over there. Now he makes the offering, and then all of a sudden he's covered again. He can move back into the blessings. But he was never free. He always had the stain of sin. He always had the marker and every year he had to go back and do this no matter what. Every year was a new one. It was constant, 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 right? So then, but then what happens? Jesus comes. And Jesus' blood was applied once for all and to set him free. And he says, look, he says, I don't care what you've done. You will no longer have this. When you receive the blood paid for price and offering of Jesus Christ. How? By faith. Lord, I believe that you died for me. You are my Lord. You're my Savior. All of a sudden, the blood of the Holy One of God, it didn't just cover. It wasn't just an atonement that covers. It completely removed like it was never there. And it set him on the blessing side of God. And he will never, ever have to go back unless he denied it, right? It would set him over there. And these things, the offerings and the law and, and the sin, it is a thing forgotten of in the past. And this is a greater covenant. Now he can walk around over here in the blessing of God without ever having to look back and all he's got to do if he finds himself where he's messed up simply go to the throne of grace and say Lord I, I apologize I confess that thing and I believe that you, when, I for, when I ask you for forgiveness when I confess it is removed just like your word says in 1 John you are faithful and just to forgive me of all unrighteousness instantly that thing's like you was just born again the brand new day and he can just walk around in the blessings of God forever Amen? Amen. And this is, this is why. This way, it never was completely removed. It always required a sacrifice. Over here, it just says, hey, I'll write stuff on your heart, be obedient to it, and I will empower you to walk in the blessings for the rest of your life. Amen. Removing even the stain of sin. 
It's no longer part of you. That's that old man. He died back there. Baptism was a symbol of it. You'll never be the same one. You stay over here. And now you're operating like I do, God says. Glory to God. Amen. Thank you, guys. Oh, wait. J.D., stay here. Stay up front. This is something I do want you to see. When under the law, go ahead, Kendall. Under the law, you can step right down here. Under the law, when we sinned, it did damage to us. Come right here. It did damage to us. So effectively, it was not a healing. When they brought sacrifices, it was not a healing. It was simply a bandage to stop. When they would make offerings, it was simply a bandage or a covering. But let's say that he, he, uh, he had a wound from sin, right? Well, now he's... Hold that there. When he would go and make an offering... The stain of sin would not be removed. It would simply be a, a bandage. Now, it may stop the bleeding, right? It may stop the bleeding, but it is not going to be repaired. It's not going to be restored. It's just going to stop the bleeding. That's it. Underneath, the wound is still there. Underneath, you, you scrape it the wrong way. It's going to start bleeding again. If it, there's not a bandage, you're going to die. Right? But at least the bandage was there to stop the bleeding. But here's the thing. With Jesus, when he fulfilled the law and made us like a new person, he said, you don't even need this anymore. You made brand new. And now you are completely restored. You are completely whole. Everything you need. It's like it never happened. There's not a scar. There's not still ready to run uh, with blood. But if you bump it, it's not even there anymore. Because in the old covenant, it was covered. But in the new covenant, it's completely removed. And it's completely made whole. Amen. Thank you. You know that. That's a <laughs> reminder of where you were. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. So let's look. At Romans chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15. He said this. He said, I'm going to put the law in their hearts. Romans chapter 2 and verse 14 says, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law... These not having the law are a law to themselves. In other words, the Gentiles didn't grow up with the law. And yet now when they become born again, they start doing the right moral things. How does that happen? They don't have the book that we have. How do they know to do that? Because the Holy Spirit writes that law on their heart. And they become, he says, a law to themselves. Now, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternatively accusing or else defending them. Now, that's a very important statement right there. Their conscience, not just defending them, but accusing them. So now our conscience becomes very, very important. Do we cross our conscience or do we cross the law of God written on our heart? And if you cross it, your own conscience will accuse you. And all of a sudden you'll know, 
need to change this thing. And it will hold you accountable as well. So you may be over here born again, but all of a sudden the blessings of God aren't working. And you got to say, all right, where did I cross it? What did I cross? But the whole point that if this is working the way that God designed, the whole point is your heart will start to tell you what's right and what's wrong. But you remember where it says uh, that they have seared their conscience as with a hot iron? That means that you start telling God no and start trying to do it your own way so much that you won't even hear it when God's trying to tell you something in your heart because you keep telling them no. It's a dangerous thing to hear the voice of the Lord. This goes with prayer and what you said too. It's a dangerous thing to hear the Lord say, don't do something, and you keep pressing beyond it. Because one of the most dangerous things is not the consequences of sin. One of the most dangerous things is you stop hearing from the Lord and what He's writing on your heart. Oh, it's, it, that's not good. And guess what else works by your conscience? Faith. So you're believing for something, but you know you've been crossing the law of God written on your heart. You ask God to do something, your faith doesn't work. But if you're doing this thing right, all of a sudden, here's what it looks like. The Lord says, I don't, I don't have to have all of the whole Old Testament law in front of me. The Lord will just say, don't treat that person like, oh, okay, I won't. You know? uh, bless them. Okay, I will. Right? And he'll just write it on your heart and your conscience will lead you right to that place. But I'm going to tell you this about the conscience. It's not going to cross this. It's not going to cross the full counsel of the word. And this is why it's so good to have a pastor and a shepherd who understands this word, knows the character and nature of God. Because when you think that you've got it all figured out, uh, you probably just messed up. And it's good to humble yourself in, the, in that way and say, what do you think about this? Because a lot of times, I'll give you an example of that. One time I was studying on something. I thought I had it all worked out, but I'd learned this principle of humbling myself to my pastor. So I went to my pastor. I said, hey, I've got this great new doctrine that I'm looking at. And, you know, I, I don't hear many people preaching about it, but I think that it's this way. And uh, within two minutes, he asked me, he said, um, what about when Jesus said this? I was like, Wow, that just blew my whole revelation away, didn't it? He's like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so praise God, I had learned that lesson. Otherwise, I would have gone off teaching something I didn't need to teach. Right. But that you won't, by the way, you want a leader who knows how to humble themselves Amen. to their leaders. Amen. You don't want, you, not just you want to humble yourself, but you want a leader who knows how to humble yourself and ask, ask early, that kind of thing. Because all of a sudden, your conscience, you, the Lord can start leading you in your conscience. But guess what? You still have, even though you've got a conscience working and connected to God and the law of God written in your heart, guess what also you have? You still have a flesh. And that flesh still has its desires. And guess what? It's the word that separates the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. It's, it's the word that does that. And, and how many of y'all have spent ample time in the word to know everything there is to know? Oh, that's what I thought. And so that's why it's good to humble ourselves and to have a shepherd. Because none of us have spent enough time to know everything there is to know. And so that's why he puts people with anointings in our lives to help us say, oh, and this is what I think the Lord's leading me to do, but what do you think? Because a lot of times the devil uses the same old traps. 
He uses the same traps. Why? Because they work, because people fall for them all the time. And a lot of times the people that are in your leadership, if they're called by God, they've seen those traps before. And if they haven't seen them, the Holy Ghost will put some anoint them to be able to spot them. Right? So it's so important for us to work together as a team. But here's one of the things that's important. If this thing's working right, all of a sudden, God just drops it in our heart. He starts to show us the law of God written in our heart to love our neighbor as ourselves, to do these things. And all of a sudden, we just flow with God. Oh, it's just beautiful. It's just this flow with God. It's just a flow. And it's like I'm in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. And all of a sudden, I'm lined up and the blessing of God comes in your life. And all of a sudden, it's just like I got favor upon favor upon blessing, upon healing, upon restoration, upon every bit of salvation. It just, life is working. That's the plan that God has. And it's all in our hands. We just have to get involved in how he said to do it. One time in Hebrews 10, uh, 15, he says the same things, uh, similar things. He says, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant or this is the new law that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind. I will write them, he says. And their sins and their lawless deeds, I'll remember no more. Amen. I'll remember them no more. One time I heard a missionary tell a story. He said, I went in there and they, all the people, it was a tribe that had never heard the gospel. I went in there, they're all naked, uh, they're drinking blood, they're doing all kinds of stuff like that. He said, I didn't have a Bible to give to them in their language, it had never been written. He said, but I did get them born again. We got uh, to the ability to be able to lead them to the Lord. He led them to the Lord, then he had to go. And he came back like a year or so later. He comes back and everybody's clothed and they're not eating blood anymore. He said, I didn't teach them that. Who taught them? The Holy Spirit wrote his laws on their heart. It is awesome. So that even without ever having that word, the Holy Spirit starts to write. But I can promise you this, anything he writes on your heart, it's never going to cross the full counsel of the word. Because he doesn't write it here and then say, okay, cross that, right? It's not the way. And when I say that, I'm talking about the moral law there. This was not just a change in action, but it's a change in heart. Now go back to Matthew 5 as we wrap up. He says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets, verse 17. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill or complete it. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, jot, the smallest letter in the alphabet, or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So what we see here is that every part of the law is being fulfilled now. Uh, Think about this. Think about a rose. It starts with a bud, right? When the rose blooms, is the bud still there the same way that it was? But is it gone? No. It's been fulfilled. It's been completed. But it's still there. 
That law was still in effect. Without that law, you and I could not be marked as righteous. You and I could not be marked as complete. The law is still there. It's just been completed by Christ. And now he's moved us to the place where the law is written on our hearts. But he's given us these markers in the word that says don't forget these things. For example, like the you know, not eating of the pigs. You know, yes, we can have that today, but is it the best idea to eat it at every meal? No, there's still some wisdom in that, although sometimes we want bacon at every meal, and I get that. Uh, but it's not the best. There's certain things that he's taught us as principles, and definitely like the Ten Commandments, you shouldn't cross any of those, right? There may be some ceremony and some judicial laws, but listen, they're written there for a reason, and we should seek to find out what those reasons are. What was he showing us in there? Why did he have these things in place? Are they some good guardrails to our life that we can live by? Yes. So he says, look, don't think that this thing is going away. It's just been fulfilled. It's been accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments or teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Notice here that they're still in the kingdom. Because a lot of people think, that if I cross one of these, I'm not even in the kingdom anymore. That's not what it says. Or if, even if I teach that I'm not there anymore. Notice that they're still in the kingdom. They're just not high in the kingdom. So in other words, you shouldn't be telling people to cross moral laws. Oh, it's okay. Everybody's doing it and we're under grace. No, absolutely not. That doesn't change the moral law of God. I may be fulfilled. Remember, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Yeah. Right? Not all things are beneficial. Verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness, your uprightness and right standing with God surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Has anybody had that verse right there scare you before? Like I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I can do that. My uprightness more than the people who wrote the law? My standing with God better than somebody who's called in the ministry in, in you know, Israel? But don't you know that the Israelites, they needed Jesus too. And what Jesus is saying is, you're thinking that you've got to do everything. He goes on to give those examples of even when you're in anger, you should not just be angry. You should not think about being angry. Even though you might be thinking lust, you shouldn't think lust. I mean, you, you won't wanting to do it, and even though you've refrained, you shouldn't even be thinking. Your heart shouldn't want to do it. What he's saying is, I'm shifting the way that you operate from trying to uphold every law. He's saying, you're not going to be more righteous and be more upstanding because you uphold more laws than they, even if you upheld every law they did, but still broke the smallest you're guilty of all. He's saying there's a shift in the way that you will be made righteous and that righteousness will be by faith. If you, what he's saying in that verse is, if you keep trying to be righteous by doing everything right, you're never going to make it. But if you'll learn that Jesus stamps us with complete by faith in him, 
you'll have the righteousness of God and your standing will God will be complete, fulfilled. That's who you are. Amen. Amen. Does that make sense? Glory to God. Father, we just thank you so much that you have given your son to fulfill the law. Lord, you didn't leave us helpless, but you fulfilled it. Now, if there's somebody today and you're just going, you know what? I need, I need to be fulfilled. Because remember, fulfillment is not just a one-time thing. You're marked, that, you're marked that way through the blood and faith in Christ. But if you miss the mark, it's something that you need to handle. You don't, if you miss the mark, it's not something that you just need to leave sitting in your life. You need to handle it. You need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I've missed it. I repent, I'm changing, and I'm going back. And I believe in you. And if you are faithful and just to forgive me if I confess my sins. And so somebody today might be saying, you know what, I, I've missed it. And I need to confess that. I've missed it and I need to confess it. I've missed it. And I just ask everybody's head bowed if that's you. If you're going, you know what, I've missed it. I need to confess it today. Just raise your hand real quick. Let me see it. Amen, I see those. Anybody else? Just keep it up so I can see it. Anybody else? I've missed it. I need, I need to get this thing right. I, and maybe it's like not something that you can even put a words on, but you know in your conscience I've crossed something. doesn't feel right. I need to confess that. If that's you, just raise your hand so I can see it. I've crossed my conscience and it doesn't feel right. I know on the inside you've written something on my heart and my heart's not bearing witness that I've got it all right. My heart's telling me I'm missing something. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? And let's just pray this. You know, Father, right now the beautiful thing about this message is you did not leave us helpless. You did not leave us in the place where it all wrecks because of one wrong move. Your mercy is so alive. And Lord, you poured out your mercy. If you gave us Jesus, how would you not freely with him give us all things? Lord, we receive all things through Jesus now. We receive that forgiveness. And let's all just pray this, just, just everybody. Just say, Father, right now, I confess where I missed it. I crossed that line, the law in my heart. And I know that it just wasn't quite right. But right now, I believe in your love. And I receive your love. And when I receive your love, that will be the end of the matter. No more condemnation. No more judgment from you or myself. I'll be free. So by faith, right now, I link myself to the righteousness of Christ 
And I receive the full redemption and the fulfillment of the law in myself. I receive forgiveness. I confess this and it will never be a part of my life again. And I receive help to be who you've called me to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just let the Lord minister to you. Keep your heads bowed. Thank you, Father. Lord, I just ask right now that you would just heal hearts, remove burdens. Lord, strengthen them to be who you called them to be. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, I just break every stronghold in lives now. Let them see things for, for who they are, for what they are. Let them see things for what they are. Let them not be blinded, Lord. Let every veil of the hardness of our hearts that would sear our conscience be removed in Jesus' name. By your anointing, Lord, let some of the hardness break off. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. You may not know it or not, but keep your head bowed, but there's more happening right here than what you realize. Thank you, Father. If you pray in the Holy Ghost, just pray with me like, yeah, Lord, shine the light on it, Lord. Shine the light. Shine the light, Lord, in Jesus' name. Melt hardened hearts so that we might all walk in the blessing in your plan, not held back in any way, but free to be who you've called us to be. Lord, melt hearts, melt hearts, melt hearts, Lord. Yeah, the Lord's working. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, let the seeds of this message entrench themselves in the core of who people are so that they may walk in the fullness that you've called them to be. Not just bandaged up, but walking in the fullness of your grace without condemnation but walking in godliness, humility, and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Amen. Glory to God.